Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, good morning. Um, great privilege to speak on this subject, Blessed Are the Persecuted. Brilliant title, isn't it? Um, well, actually, Louise and I love the Beatitudes so much, we called our daughter Beata from the Beatitudes. That means blessed. And so it's been an incredible journey for us. For me, I love just studying the Beatitudes. But, um, and I hope you've enjoyed this series in the context of us seeking the Lord in, you know, for this renewal, revival. We've been hearing from Pete and from others and gathering Sunday nights and just seeking God. And there's, I think they're, they're so deeply connected. And so I hope that as uh, I share this morning on this subject... Um, and bring some stories from the church in Iran. As Adam said, um, I serve with Elam, the church in Iran. I was born in Iran, for those of you who don't know. My father's Iranian, my mother's British. Uh, my grandfather prayed for revival in Iran in the 1950s. Every day without fail for over four years in their home was a prayer meeting. And so uh, they just prayed and prayed and sought the Lord. I remember being in a prayer meeting in Iran in 1985. We were, uh, I was 11 years old at the time. We walked, we'd go back to Tehran at the time. We lived in the UK at the time, but we'd go back to Tehran most years uh, in the summers. And I remember just this time walking back, it was just a few years after the revolution, walking the streets of Tehran, all the symbols of Islam were everywhere. Big pictures of Ayatollah Khomeini, if you know that name. Big beard, big sign, death to America. Death to Israel. All the women forced to wear a head covering. My sister was a couple of years older than me walking around. And we walk into this little church and people were praying with all their hearts for revival. And their hands lifted up. My grandfather's arms were lifted up. Tears running down his face. Lord, bring salvation to this country. And as he... As an 11-year-old, I remember thinking, well, you probably know what I was thinking. <laughs> Can God answer their prayer? Is it actually possible? Is it something that can... I mean, this, you look at the symbols, you look at the signs, you look at the impossibility of the situation. And yet, here we are all these years later. I can honestly tell you that God is and has and is answering those prayers. And so I, I want to speak uh, from the point of view that as we go through this, I don't just think this is another time where we're just going to be a little, let's just keep going after it because God can answer the prayers. And that's what we as a church are all about. This is what Pete and Sammy started, this, this passion to pray for a nation again, the nation again, just to contend for another Revival, and I believe, I mean, I, I've seen the church in Iran when it was impossible. And you think it's impossible in this country, but it's possible because God, Jesus, is alive. So, the Beatitudes, how's that related? Um, you'd think, first of all, I'm going to read it in a minute, but you'd think, first of all, that as you come into land, 
um, it's a rather underwhelming end to the Beatitudes. You think after all these beautiful, blessed are you who are hunger and thirst for righteousness and merciful and then peacemakers, it would end with something, blessed are those who've made it right to the end here. You will be able to enjoy your favorite hobbies the rest of your life. Enjoy a leisureful existence and everything will be great. But he finishes the Beatitudes with blessed are the persecuted. In typical style, Jesus takes what's already difficult and makes it harder. Why does he do that? If um, we can read this passage together one last time, well, maybe not last time, but in this series, if you can and are able, would you stand as we read the Word of God? Matthew 5, 1. I'm actually going to read a little bit beyond the Beatitudes. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So at the end, you have this blessed are the persecuted. And again, it's like, why do you finish with this? You know, after all that you've asked us to do, you know, to, to be merciful, you want me to be merciful and you want me to be persecuted for it. That's not very exciting. That's not, is that supposed to be the aim of our life? Well, what's going on here? Jesus knows that this set of, this teaching that he's given is not just some, you know, uh, something that we're supposed to live just privately. It's actually his kingdom to live in a real world. 
And his kingdom values are opposite to the world's values. There is opposition to what he's teaching. And he's calling us. He's call, if we want revival, we want to live his kingdom in this world, to bring his kingdom into this world. But if we're going to do that, there's opposition. The kingdoms of this world are in opposition to the kingdom of God. And persecution is a sign of that opposition. If we're living out his kingdom then the, those who are against it, the world that's against it, is going to try and undermine, is going to try and hurt, is going to try and attack. And so there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to seeking revival. There's a cost to asking God to come and work in our midst, because if we want Him to work in our midst, that means that we're actually not just doing this lovely little thing on a Sunday night where nobody's watching us from the world. We're going out into the world to live in a world that is opposed to the kingdom of God. So there's a cost, but there's also a reward, an incredible reward. And my prayer for you today is as you are in the midst of this seeking renewal and revival, you, you know in your heart of hearts that there's cost. But my prayer is that you would see more than ever before. There's such an incredible reward to faithfulness. There's such an incredible reward to keeping on going. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. You're blessed when you're persecuted because you're trying to live out the ways of the kingdom in a, in a dark world and get God. And there's a reward for that. There's the kingdom of heaven is yours. Renewal and revival comes when we're ready to say everything, yes to everything that the Lord has for us. It's faithfulness. In Revelation 14, 17, 14, there's war. The, said, well, I'll read the verse. They, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called and chosen and faithful followers. There's going to be victory at the end, and those who are faithful inherit the kingdom of God. He's worthy of everything. People often ask, how has the church in Iran grown? What's, you know, how has this actually happened? In 1979, there were about 500 Christians from a Muslim background in the country. And then the persecution came. All the missionaries had to be kicked out. Everybody thought this little tiny church would wither away and die. But instead, the opposite has happened. And you've got hundreds of thousands who are coming to faith and it's literally happening every day. I don't know if it's the fastest growing in the world, but I can tell you that every single day people are coming to Christ. It's incredible. But how has that happened? I mean, I could literally tell you story after story, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. I'll tell you just a few because of uh, the time. But how has that happened? So I'll give you a, a few ideas, some things we could learn, and then... Uh, just to say as well, that the church in Iran is absolutely not perfect. It is not this ideal, you know, there's still a lot for us to learn. And there's a few Iranians in here nodding their heads uh, because we know the reality. But there is something that we can learn from them. 
And one of those is this, that when you are in a situation where you have decided to live for Jesus and the world is against you, you come to this moment where you face persecution, you face a profound question. Persecution forces you to answer the question, is Jesus worth it all? Is he worth losing my family? Is he worth losing my job, my home, my career, even my life? When you are in that kind of situation, which the church in Iran was forced, it's not because they're brilliant. It's not because we, we know these things. It, it was forced on us as a church. You have to answer that question. When you are being persecuted, you must answer that question. Is he worth it? And one of the privileges of my life is seeing men and women who've answered that question with a resounding yes, he's worth it. One of those was a man called Mehdi Dibaj. He was in the prayer meetings with my grandfather in the 1950s. He was from a very high-level Muslim background. And they put him in prison in 1985. He was there for nine years. Finally, in November 1993, he was sentenced to death, brought before an Islamic court to give one last defense. All he had to do was recant, and they'd let him go. Standing in the dock in front of three Islamic judges, this is what he said. They tell me, return. But from the arms of my God, who can I return to? Is it right to accept what people are saying instead of obeying the word of God? It is now 45 years that I'm walking with the God of miracles, and his kindness upon me is like a shadow, and I owe him much for his fatherly love and concern. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person and all his words and miracles recorded in the gospel. And I've committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him. And death, a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I'm ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus, my Lord. Persecution forces the question on the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And as we pray for renewal and revival, that's what we want to pray. Lord, help us know it's worth living truly like you, our Lord of everything. Mehdi's example has been an inspiration to so many. We have hundreds of people in the church in Iran who've been arrested, imprisoned, lost their jobs. We have friends who worked in the teaching system, education system in Iran. Their whole careers, the week before they retire then to get a pension, are fired from their jobs because they're Christians and get no pension the rest of their lives destitute, left, all kinds of things. And but because 
some Christians decided to answer that question. Yes, Jesus, you're worth it all. We see the blessing in the persecution because we want your kingdom. Others in our generation, younger generation, have been willing to lay down their lives. Hundreds have been persecuted. You've heard online before from our friend Farshid Fatih. He was in prison for five years. But there are hundreds of others. Uh, we have a guy on our team who was arrested. He's been through our training, distributing scriptures. He um, was arrested a few months ago, was been in, has been in prison. And then uh, about two, three, uh, no, four or five weeks ago, he called his wife. And uh, she, got his, she got her phone out and, uh, or another phone and recorded the, vo the, the phone call. And uh, so I'm going to play you this voicemail from prison in Iran. One of our guys in prison, and he's calling his wife. And just imagine the scene. This is Iran. This is somebody suffering for their faith. Imagine the wife with a child at home, how she's feeling. I want you to watch the screen. You'll be in Farsi. Read the, the uh, subtitles, but listen to the tone of their voice. And See if they think Jesus is Lord. Let's play the video. Blessed are the persecuted. Farshad actually was released two weeks ago. You can praise God for that. While in prison, he led 12 people to Christ. He led also a prison warden to Christ. And um, he is now, some of the two or three of the people who were in prison at the time are out. He's discipling them using Safar. And uh, his wife is calling the wives of other inmates who are still in prison, reaching them and serving them. It's an incredible story. You see, when you're praying for revival, 
It's not just this lovely feeling that we want to get. It's actual real impact in our lives, in the lives of people, in this world, in this world which is so much pain and suffering. And that's what we want to do. We want to go for it, guys. But not just this, you know, something that's not real. It's actually real. That's the beautiful thing about this, actually. It's actually really practical. Revival and renewal actually changes people's lives. And that's what we want to go for. Um, and so, blessed are the persecuted. Why? Because they know it's worth it all. It's worth going for. And they believe that God is going to work. They let their light shine. So another lesson from the church in Iran. First of all, the first lesson was the lordship of Jesus. Second one, very simply, is everybody plays their part. Everybody plays their part. So when you are persecuted, you, can't, you don't have a platform for church. People don't come and attend church. So the heroes of Iran's church are not the celebrities who are standing up and waiting for people to come to them. It's every church member who says, you know what? We've met Jesus Christ. He's changed our lives. We love him. He's impacted us. He's brought us salvation. He's brought us healing. And they're the ones who are going out. It's a, it's a, war, a, a war veteran a, a, suffering from PTSD for 25 years, bedridden for 25 years, who last year met Jesus Christ. Out in a village in Iran, on a bed for 25 years, somebody's given him the gospel. And from his bed, he starts calling old friends. And in six months, 23 people have given their lives to Jesus. It's a 14-year-old girl. Well, not, not right now, but when she was 14, she was sold in marriage to a man 20 years older than her. She was happy because she came from a miserable background. She thought, okay, this will be better, but actually it was worse. She lived in her husband's home, family compound. They made her work as a slave from 6.30 in the morning till midnight. She was abused by her husband and his brothers. And she meets Jesus Christ. Guys, Jesus is real. She meets Jesus. He changes her life. And what does she do? She prays for her husband. He comes to Christ. That family is changed. This is a testimony in their community. How is that happening? It's a drug addict that you'll never meet who's come to know the Lord and is witnessing to hundreds of addicts in these forgotten camps all over Iran. And hundreds of them are coming to know Jesus. It's a criminal, an actual criminal who's watching TV uh, one day and he comes across his Christian TV channel, gives his life to Christ. He's now one of Iran's greatest evangelists. Literally goes from town to town distributing scriptures. Story after story. Uh, last week when I was... With some of the leaders, a young, well, not that young anymore, about my age. Uh, she's, I mean, her family, there's so much drug addiction in Iran. She was actually an ICU nurse, but her whole family were uh, drug addicts. And she would go to ICU high as a nurse. I mean, that was how bad it was. But she said, I hid it. I managed to hide it. A lot of pain in their family background. 
Her husband left her 10 years ago. Son was an addict. There was so much fighting in their home. They, were in, they lived in an apartment. There was, they were literally about to kill each other. Their neighbors from upstairs came and said, hey, you're going to kill each other. Why don't you, said to the mother, why don't you go with your family? Go and live with your mother. We'll look after your son. So she did. Otherwise, she was going to kill her son. Three months later, he calls her and says, Mom, I've changed. She says, you're, you're kidding me. Hangs up. A week later, he calls again and says, Mom, I, something's happened. I've really changed. Come. So he, she comes to visit him. She says, what's happened to you? I've met Jesus. The neighbors who had told the mother to go were believers and had witnessed to him, discipled him. That day, the mother comes to Christ. And then her husband hears about it. Husband who's been divorced for 10 years comes to know the Lord, and they're actually back together, married again. This is incredible, guys. This is Jesus at work in the midst of darkness and pain. Why? Because Christians live like he's Lord. They're willing to be persecuted. They're willing to suffer. They're willing to pay the price because the kingdom of God is worth it. Yes, it's a different way of living, and it's a way that is so opposite to the world that there is persecution, but it's worth it because the impact is so great. It's everything. So one last story. The third area is so the lordship of Jesus. The fact that everybody plays their part in sharing, their, their sharing Jesus. And then the last one, and then I'm going to pull these together. I think the Lord wants to speak three different groups maybe. That everybody's involved in not only coming to Christ, but actually growing as disciples. Not everybody, but that's the goal, that we really grow as disciples. So as we pray for renewal... As we pray for revival, we are praying that God will take us on our own discipleship journey. I want to tell you one last story because to me this has just been such a, an incredible story of the last year or so. This happened about a year ago. And I just think it's, it shows so much about how God is the one at work in our lives as we just continue the discipleship journey. So... One of our friends, a guy called Rasul, was encouraged to share his faith with his old friends in Iran. So he, called, he's, he lives in America, Rasul. He calls an old friend called Javad. Javad, he hadn't spoken to him for years, many, many years. Javad had ended, they'd been at school together, uh, maybe 25 years hadn't spoken. Javad has ended up being a, a high military guy in Tehran. And um, so he calls Javad, and Javad says, look, I'm not interested, but uh, call my son. He had a son who's about 20, 21 years old now. He's in trouble. So he calls the son. What's the story? The son is called Imad. So Imad is the son, Javad is the dad. So he calls Imad. What's the story? When, as, as Imad was growing up in his dad's home, his dad is this big military guy who wanted his son to be this macho young man, and, and he was more interested in other things, and so they never really quite got on, and uh, the longer it went on, the more embarrassed the father was of the son. So when his military friends would come, 
he wanted his son out of the way. His friends would come to the house. He'd say, tell his son, go out. And that happened for year after year after year. Finally, when he was 14, when Imad was 14, um, the dad, his, his buddies are coming around. They're doing whatever. And he says to his son, go. Just leave the house till they've gone. And so Imad goes and doesn't come back. That time he doesn't come back. Ends up living on the streets of Tehran and uh, just has the most miserable life. Ends up in everything that you need to, you can imagine addiction and all kinds of stuff, crime. And then Rasul calls him and starts telling him the gospel. And something begins to stir about this Jesus who is alive. And Rasul's background was fairly similar. And so. <laughs> Imad gives his life to Jesus and says, I want to follow him. And so he goes back to the father's house, tells the story. The father accepts him back into the home. And it's an incredible reunion. So now Rasul has the very practical thing of getting Imad his first Bible. You can't just go to a store and buy a Bible. So we have to, that's one of the things that Elam does. We send Bibles into the country and you have to get them to the people. So what happens is you say, all right, Imad, we're gonna, somebody's going to deliver a Bible. Tell us somewhere near you. We'll go and hide it you know, under, you know, behind a bush or you know, behind the bins somewhere. And we'll take a picture, tell you where it is. You go and pick it up. So the guy who's arranging the scripture, the, the delivery, calls Imad and says, where would you like it? They're in Tehran. Where would you like us? Is there somewhere? He said, don't worry. Just Anywhere you put it, I'll go find it. Anywhere in North Tehran. That would be like saying, just put it somewhere in South London, I'll go find it. <laughs> just tell me where it is, you know. So he said, the guy says, are you sure? He said, yeah, yeah, just do it. I'll do it. So he take, goes, hides the Bible, takes a picture, and sends it to Imad. It's this picture that's going to come up. Imad, said, Imad is now 20, so he'd been 26, I think it was four or five years on the, on the streets in Tehran. Imad gets this picture, calls the guy. He says, why have you sent me that picture? He said, because I told you that's, I'll take a picture of where I hide the Bible, and, and that's where you're going to pick it up. He said, I know you said that, but why have you sent me that picture? He said, because I told you that's the plan. He said, no, but why have you sent me that picture? The guy says, this guy doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> Four or five times he asked the question, why have you sent me that picture? He said, because that's where I hid the Bible. He said, you didn't know? You didn't know what? You didn't know? That's the bench where I lived for four years. It's the bench of my misery. It's the bench of my pain. It's the bench of my nightmare. And now, that's where I go to get the word of God. You want revival? It's because you want to see God work. And God works because he's alive. And he's worth everything. Please listen, because I think it may be for one or two of you, maybe for more. God knew Imad's bench. 
God knows your bench. He knows your bench. And as we pray for revival, he will do far exceeding what you can imagine. All the pain, some pain you've maybe never told anybody, the Lord knows your bench. And so I encourage you to seek him in this season. Seek him in this season because he knows your bench. And he wants to work a miracle, to take the place of your pain, your suffering, and do something beautiful. And that's why we go and we pray. That's why we seek the Lord. That's why we go into his presence. That's why we want to say, Lord, come, bring revival to us. So I want to just give a couple of three areas. One, some of you may be in this room, as I've been praying, just some of you may just be almost at the end. You're saying, Lord, is it worth it? I just don't feel it's worth it anymore. He is worth it. You may be you're suffering, maybe you're not getting the breakthrough that you want, but there is a reward for faithfulness. Keep going. Even if you're feeling great opposition, and difficulty, even persecution. Keep going. If you're somebody who thinks, you know, pray for revival, but who am I? I have nothing to give this revival in this country. That is not true. You can be a light in this revival. There's not a single person in this room. I'm saying this from my experience of the church in Iran. There's not a single person in this room who cannot play an incredible part of the story. All the stories I've told you are the most ordinary, in fact, less than ordinary people. There's no one in this room who cannot play a part in making Jesus known. And finally, those of you who are feeling like, my own pain means it's just not going to be. Let them go and pray at Founders, but God doesn't know me. He absolutely knows you. He knows your bench. I'm going to play a video, which is a baptism that we had in Turkey recently, well, in October. Uh, and I just I wanted to play this because this is, this is what it's about. These people have met Jesus Christ, and you see it in their faces. You see it in their smiles. Each one of them has incredible stories. But they've met the living God. And this type, of, this type of thing happens because people are willing to say, Jesus, your Lord. We're going to watch this video. And then the band's just going to lead us in prayer, worship, whatever. We'll see what happens. God bless you all.